Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. The FT. Welcome to this edition of World Weekly. I'm Gideon Rachman. This week, we look at international action on climate change. After a long period in which very little seemed to be happening, there's been a flurry of developments. President Obama's announced plans to impose big cuts in carbon emissions in the US, and China's also talking of imposing a cap on emissions. Meanwhile, diplomatic negotiations aimed at securing a big international deal have restarted. So what's going on? Joining me on the line is Richard McGregor, our Washington bureau chief, and here in the studio is Polita Clark, our environment correspondent. Polita, am I right that there's been a flurry of developments, and what are the big ones? Well, the really big one is what President Obama's administration's just done, this move to try to limit emissions from power plants by 30% by 2030 is really a big deal for the US, which historically has not really done that much on climate change compared with other developed countries. When it comes to China, however, the picture is a little bit murkier. There was a very interesting report that came out on the day after President Obama's launch of these regulations and suggesting that a senior government advisor in Beijing was saying that there would be an absolute cap on emissions in China's next five-year plan. Unfortunately, it seems as though the reports were a little bit premature. The advisor later told us that he was actually just speaking for himself, and this was his view of what should happen. It had been recommended, but it was by no means yet in policy and certainly not in the five-year plan. It's an idea that's doing the rounds, but not agreed on. And meanwhile, there's a negotiations restarting on an international level, yeah? Yeah, these negotiations have been going on now for, uh, very broadly speaking, for nearly 20 years, really. But most recently, in the last few years, they've been working up to try to come up with a kind of a successor treaty to Kyoto, which hasn't really worked largely because the US failed to ratify it and a number of other countries have since fallen by the wayside. And in any event, it only covered emissions from developed world countries. So it never actually included China. China's never had to do anything under it, even though China now is by far the world's biggest emitter. So what countries are now trying to do is come up with a treaty by the end of next year in Paris. I say treaty. A lot of countries prefer to call it an agreement. But in any case, it is supposed to be a global deal to reduce emissions or to tackle climate change, which will be agreed at the end of next year. They never like to rush these things. It's only supposed to come into force from 2020. But there There is definitely a timetable now in place where we are eagerly waiting to see what countries are going to be doing, and that's very much the context in which the US power plant emissions rules are being seen. Now, Richard, as Polita was saying, the US has taken the initiative on this. President Obama talked a good game about climate change when he came in, and then it all seemed to go quiet. So why have things restarted? Well, you're quite right. He did uh, talk a big game. It's been in both his inaugural addresses. So in in some respects, this is a promissory note that he's reissued uh, a number of times and he's finally called in. I think, number one, he wants to do something. He believes in the science of climate change. He accepts the need to do something. 
It's a big, big legacy issue for Mr. Obama, and this may be about the last time he can do it. He can do this through executive authority, an authority through the Environmental Protection Agency that was tested through the Supreme Court. So that means he doesn't have to get congressional approval, uh, presumably makes it much, much easier to get something done. Well, if he had to get congressional approval, he literally got nothing done because there's simply not the numbers in the House of Representatives with the Republicans, maybe not even in the Senate as well. So frankly, he's quite happy to bypass Congress and he wants to make a virtue of it as well. And I think also we have to give the White House some credit. I think they've managed this much better than many of their other political initiatives. Climate change has always been about some future distant murky sort of disaster which is very hard to sell people on in their day-to-day lives and I think over the last 12 months or so they've tried to reposition it as a public health issue talking about asthma about pollution about particulates in the air and to some extent they've had some success in doing that so they've both been able to do it and perhaps managed it better than many people might have thought. And where does public opinion stand on all this? I mean, we've had a, it seems, at least from afar, succession of pretty weird weather events in the United States, droughts, wild storms in New York and all of that. Do people believe generally that President Obama is right to act or is the more, much more sceptical view of the Republicans and the Tea Party more popular? Well, politically, the Republicans, of course, who were once on board with this and had their own initiatives on climate change have really gone in the other direction. You know, you basically got everything from outright denial to genuine scepticism. But beyond that, I think climate change has become, for Republicans, a sort of subset of a larger culture war over government. In other words, it's indelibly associated through some very clever politicking with bigger government, bigger regulation. So Republicans really can't touch this. The public, I think, has an underlying concern about climate change, but when it comes to whether they're willing to pay extra costs in their day-to-day lives, particularly at a time when the economy is weak and the middle class is squeezed and many people are still out of work, well, it becomes a much, much harder sell. So the opportunity is there, but it's still a, a really difficult public policy issue in the States as it is anywhere in the world. And Polita, I mean, you alluded to the fact that although America is now taking a lead, it's no longer even the world's largest emitter, that's China. So what are we hoping to see come out of China and what are the chances of something actually happening? Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely true. The Chinese account for about a third of global emissions now and the US is around 15-ish percent, depending on which data set you look at. But really, that means that China's got to do an enormous amount if we're to see any change. And it's hard to say if they're undecided, but they appear to be undecided because there is definitely a view within some parts of the government. I was over in Beijing a few weeks ago talking to people in the NDRC, the Economic Planning Ministry, and various other advisors and climate officials. And there's very much a view that for their own reasons, particularly air pollution concerns, they do want to shift towards a more low-carbon economy, as the jargon has it. But... There's also a view that they don't want to be pushed into anything that's going to compromise their economic growth in the direction that they feel is best suited for them. So, And they continually emphasise that they still have uh, tens of millions of people living in poverty. They can't be doing anything that's going to arrest their moves to keep on lifting people out of poverty. So they're in a difficult position in many ways, and in some ways it's a lot like any country here in Europe or in the US, any developed or industrialised country where different parts of the government, different parts of business have different views on how to tackle this. So 
It's definitely clear that the leadership, rhetorically at least, are saying that they want to do something. Um, I would be surprised if in the next five-year plan there wasn't something much more adventurous and ambitious than what we've seen previously. Now, it's often said that maybe we don't need a huge international deal covering all 190 or whatever it is members of the United Nations. If you could just get a US-China deal, which collectively would cover almost half the emissions in the world, is that right? Then you'd do it. I mean, A, is that right, that US-China's the key, and B, any possibility? It's absolutely correct, really. It's highly politically incorrect to say this, and uh, neither the US or China like to say it aloud because it offends everybody else. But the truth is you can't have a deal unless you have these two countries agreeing on something. And the interesting thing here is that since John Kerry has become US Secretary of State, the US has really pushed on this a lot because I think it's not just Obama. This is not a legacy issue just for him. It's also for John Kerry, who's been incredibly interested in climate change for his whole career, really. He set up this dialogue between the US and China on climate change. They've had several meetings. They're very detailed. Some... European negotiators here are privately complaining that they don't really know what's going on. There's a bit of concern that the US and China could come up with a deal that's not really as ambitious as a lot of countries would like, particularly here in Europe, where these countries have really been traditionally the leaders on this. So But what's interesting is that it's happening at all. They are discussing each other's targets. There's still a lot of hurdles, but it's very clear that I think the US in particular in some parts of the Chinese administration would very much like to see some sort of agreement before the end of next year. And Gideon, if I could add to that, the US-China relationship is vast, sprawling, very tense geopolitical toing and froing that they have. Their negotiations over climate change seem to be so far amongst the most constructive, most open, something they're really most willing to work together on and can work together on. So I think in that respect, it's very, very interesting to see how that bilateral dialogue goes. I mean, we often talk about the world being divided into a sort of a condominium of two. Well, as Polita and you have noted, that might actually happen in climate change. And is there, though, a risk that as strategic tensions rise between the US and China, which they seem to be doing, that climate change negotiations become a victim of that? Well, there is that risk, but there's also the sort of other current running alongside of that is that both the US and China want to get on. They have an interest in getting on. They both have an interest in a stable global environment and, you know, economic environment. And so there are, in many respects, just as much weight on the other side of the scale to try and find something where they can get on. And maybe climate change is something where that's happening. Now, Polita, just to finish, I mean, we talked a lot about what governments are doing and possibilities of deals, but what's the climate doing meanwhile? I mean, you say 2020, the New Deal might come in if they find it. Are we just way behind the curve? I'm afraid that most climate scientists will tell you, yes, we are. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which is the leading authority on climate change, that operates under the auspices of the UN, I just brought out a series of reports, basically with the latest update on this. And in the US, they've gone through a similar exercise just for the US. And it's very clear that, um, interesting even as President Obama's initiative was this week, the truth is that globally all countries have to do a huge amount more than what they've already pledged they're going to do by 2020. And in an ideal world, they'd be acting even more ambitiously than that. So, yes, As far as the leading climate scientists are concerned, a huge amount more work needs to be done. Okay. well, on that slightly sobering thought, Pelita Clark, thank you very much indeed. And thanks also to Richard McGregor in Washington. That's it for this week. Until next week, goodbye. 
For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Did you know the Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc., 